Welcome to the Enlighten Up Podcast. I am your host, Nicole Frolic, and I invite you to cozy up with me each week as I explore all aspects of the spiritual journey, spiritual biohacking, and expanding the mind beyond this reality. Remember that the collective awakening can start by planting one seed. So thanks for being such an amazing audience and sharing these shows with your family and friends. So without further ado, let's jump right into the episode and find out what we're discovering today. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Enlighten Up podcast. I'm really happy to be back here with you once again. Uh, it's I hope you're having a wonderful evening. I, I know you're about to if you haven't yet. I'm really excited because I have Andrew Bartsis on the show tonight and he is a transcendent teacher, shaman and Reiki master with the rare ability of being able to access the Akashic records of our planet and all that this universe encompasses at will. Also known as the Galactic Historian, he's able to read and interpret individual, cultural, global, and galactic histories, past, present, and future. With everyone who's eager to learn, just as you would look through a clear glass of pure water, Andrew can read the Akashic records while in fully conscious state which means he can read your records while fully engaging with you in a warm, lighthearted manner and sacred neutral state. I'm so excited to have Andrew on the show today. And while we were recording, well, while we were supposed to be recording, I did all of this and then uh, realized it wasn't recording. And so it should be on the YouTube channel, but I want to get this out to you guys on iTunes and Spotify real fast. So I'm going to let it jump straight into where we started. And I hope you enjoy the show. There's so much information in here. We get into DNA, underwater civilizations, um, womb healing, um, soul contracts, and all the fine print that the dark controllers use to change our contracts and how we can change the contracts by going into the womb. There's so much stuff here, guys. You're going to love it. Stick around. And thanks so much for being so patient. So Andrew, you know, you kind of awoken to your gifts at the age of nine um, while you were at a baseball stadium. How, how did that, what was that like for you just really briefly um, to have that full on experience at such a young age? Well, the, 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 the way it all went down is it was a bottom of the ninth inning tied score and our team hit a home run. Everyone cheered. From that point, my life completely changed. Changed. Everybody that was in the stadium, everyone that was listening on radio, everybody that was watching on television, past, present, and future, I knew who they were to 10,000 generations of the past and to 10,000 generations of the future. And everything was an interconnected web of life, spiritual contracts. And I became uniquely aware that everything and everyone was interwoven and intertwined. And this became a solidified experience in me and how I saw the rest of my living life. And I had to learn to live with this awareness of how everything is interacted as I grew older. And I had to grow my own responsibility to being able to use that awareness state, even when I was in ninth grade, eighth grade, you know, graduating high school, it was an evolving process of reaching a neutral state in which I was able to not allow charge or polarity so that I could enter that connected and interconnected state of beingness. And I knew that it was my birthright and my legacy to do that. And that as I have evolved with this in my knowingness, I knew what I would eventually teach other people how to do this, but I still had to live a grounded human life at the same time. So I, in effect, I was running a dual tracked life, the capacity and the ability to do, see, feel, hear and experience things in the unseen world and yet still have a seen world that is not interfered with or is not competing with the unseen perceptions. 
you know, you that that's incredible that you're able to really handle all of that at such a young age. I mean, when I think back to myself in grade nine, I was kind of worried about um, what the guy across from me in the science class was thinking. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would. I would have been in like sixth grade at the time. Oh, okay. Sixth yeah. grade. Well, even, even better. But, but I learned I was prepared from this hundreds of lifetimes in a row that my soul had been planning this and that everyone in the stadium, everyone on radio and everyone listening on TV was also a part of that grander plan for individuated Andrew to have the potential of unique awareness to come into him at that age to influence him into a potential future. How did you get to <coughs> that state of sacred neutrality um, to be able to read the information from, from that place? Because to me, that's an extremely um, incredible skill that you have to maintain that state of neutrality and bring in all the information that you do without putting any kind of projections on it and being able to have your perceptions unlimited. So the challenge of getting there is I had a very unique family. I, I grew up in a very Greek family. My parents were highly educated. And so everyone has a Greek PhD and know it all. Okay. So my parents weren't able to really accept what I was like, what I could do. Oh, you're making this up. So I learned to not validate any, have any form of validation from what I was experiencing there. And I found that my internal validation process is the more that I perceived information, I allow it to change me, the less I actually knew what was going on in my life. And that's where I made the final choices. My initial experience was the information I was aware of didn't change me other than my awareness of it. And then the evolution of the sacred neutral state came when I was in my early teens and 20s. I began to do sweat lodges with the Weichel Indians. Um, I actually was just looking at a newspaper and there was a little little ad in the in the um in the in the extra section saying sweat lodge eagle creek eagle creek ohio two hundred dollars grant grant secunda and and this is you know 1998 1997 so internet was still pretty much brand new cell phones for everyone was pretty much brand new and i went and did it and had a profoundly unique experience in the sweat lodge and then I started doing more and more sweat lodges with a local group over here. And what I discovered is this neutral state was a prayer state. Mm. And as, as I began to explore that prayer state, I could expand my neutral state for many days and weeks. Even when I was in my jobs that had lots of asshole bosses and hardcore situations in which charge and polarity was necessary to get through with them. As soon as I left the job, cut it all off, didn't allow it to stay in within me. And I learned to begin cyclically purging out the dirty light of others. And that's what reminded me the sacred neutral state is a responsibility to the self to purge the dirty light. Yeah, that and that is um, not an easy state to maintain when you're first starting out and you don't know how to detach from the world, at least enough time to give you an opportunity to understand what that state is. I know that um, for myself, I did a 10 day silent Vipassana um, retreat in Costa Rica when I was 31 and 11 hours a day spending in meditation. My body was not flexible. It did not like being in <laughs> that position at all. And I didn't find anything really peaceful about it for the first few days. But on day four is when I had this incredible 
two hour session where all time and space fell away. I was no longer in, I was no longer my body. I was just energy and I felt pure contentness. It was not like I wanted to change one thing. I was completely neutral about where I was and I'll never forget that state. It's kind of like that's, it's a nice reminder of having that, of knowing, um, being able to have achieved it. I now know what it feels like and to, we're in such polarizing times right now, more than ever, this sacred neutrality is more important than ever, I feel like. It's everyone's birthright and legacy to discover that natural state. So during my journey from nine to my 20s, I had many experiences in which I learned meditation. I would, uh, my uncle uh, was doing a traditional Chinese medicine acupuncture class. And one Christmas he came home and left one of his acupuncture books at the house. And I devoured it. And my parents like, you won't understand anything that's in it. And then when my uncle came back the next year, he's like, you read this? He's like, you could understand it. And I was like, I could talk about the, the foot tie-in points. I absorbed what was in it. And in that absorption process, I learned a deep state of relaxation through absorption of information. And then I had a, a variety of very potent and powerful spiritual experiences when negative forces were trying to come in and influence me down a different path. Use your skill to get women, use your skill to get jobs, use your skill to get this, use, 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 use. And I began to realize all of these things that wanted me to use it was for their purpose and not for my individuated purpose. And so I had a lot of experiences that reminded me of what my individuated purpose was. Hmm. Okay, to yeah. remain the sacred neutral observer, because I had done this in previous lifetimes, where I had many beings show me in other eras of other histories of me doing something very similar, but what was needed during that era of time, a speaker of the truth that there's no more secrets can be hidden. And yes, that represented some negative forces may perceive you as a threat. That's the challenge of sticking with the perception. Until such a time, it isn't about protection, it's about natural fortification. Because what you do believe in is a byproduct of what you believe in. Mm -hmm. Okay, Our belief is an engine that constantly cycles up our energy. And as I began to have experiences before the sweat lodge and after the sweat lodge, a variety of animal totems came to me, began teaching me about natural living. Natural living. What does human natural living look like? It isn't cars and trucks. It isn't airplanes and gasoline. It's going out into nature and listening to the sounds of, of the forest night and day, tuning into the, the woodpeckers and the mice and the, and the leaves and understanding there's a unique orchestra of consciousness always there waiting for you to tap into it. And by making those cyclical choices of tapping into that instead of the other negative sources, I began to live this dual life, mm -hmm. normal Andrew, would mm -hmm. also go out and do the wood stuff, the fires, the I'd look like I'm camping and fishing. No one really knew what I was doing. They didn't need to know because they wouldn't understand what was going on. And then a series of very powerful mystical experiences came after some sweat lodges. I was working with a gentleman that um, opened a brand new prayer grounds. It invited natives from all over the air from like 16 different states to come and do a dancing ceremony on it. And my particular job was to take the elders via ATV that had a little cart attached to it, 22 acres through a swampy area. And a lot of these were very elder elders and make sure that they didn't get hurt driving. So my job was to ferry people back and forth. 
And we also invited a, a lot of people that were coming back from Af uh, Iraq one and Afghanistan. So a lot of them were in the PTSD scenario because they were doing a dancing release of, of negative traumas, which is beautiful if you ever get a chance to see it. So I'm ferrying all these people back into the sweat lodge, back to do the ceremonies. And then I'm ferrying them back and I'm looking at the changes on them and the mystical experiences of awareness. As I saw this elder come in with a gray light and leave with this golden light, this Iraq vet coming in with absolute darkness within him and coming out with life behind his eyes. I began to see these human changes and it was my own unique mystical experience of interpreting who they were there for and who they were that who were they afterwards, which then influenced me into wanting to become an actual reader and a hands a hands-on healer and a reader. I learned cranial sacral therapy, myofascial release, Reiki, 14 different healing modalities over the over the last 25 years of doing this. Okay. And then Spirit said, You have this ability to see. Now you must take it on the road and show people how they can see themselves, which began the journey of teaching people about self-illumination, which is what my journey was from the beginning. This is, you know, this is something that I think a lot of people lose sight over in understanding how much effort is put into achieving um, the skills that you have. I think there's this misconception that think, oh, well, people are just born with it or they just have the spontaneous awakening and then everything just takes itself, takes care of itself from there. And it's not really the case at all. And I find that a lot of people want it, but they're not willing to put in the effort of going that distance to achieve that. And uh, what has been your experience uh, with people like with people really wanting it, but not putting in the effort and versus those who actually do put in the effort. So the people that want it and don't put any effort are stuck in the instant gratification teaching. Um, healing is a process, not an event. It's one of my state's biggest statements that has affected people over and over again. Healing is a process, not an event. And instant gratification means you cannot get out of the instant gratification. Here's your dopamine moment. You don't have to earn anything. Here's your cake and, you're, and you can eat it too in your situation. To get where I'm at, I've had lots of trials, lots of tribulations, lots of moments of the dark night of the soul, wanting to give up. I don't want to do this anymore. Somebody else can take over and do it. I've had a lot of those moments. But I also understood my perseverance and vigilance to stay a practiced person that the, my daily practice would fortify my life and give me the perceptions and the capacities to do this long term, mm -hmm. which it did. And all the negative forces that are here that, that want me to fail, that's their choice to want me to fail. All I have to do is agree to them. So in the darkest of the moments of my life, why am I agreeing to somebody else's perception? Why do I have to fail? I don't. Why am I letting myself take the judgments and projections of others? Oh, I talk about this all the time. And then I go through the self-reading and self-healing and self-nurturing process of ejecting those projections I accepted as an energy within myself and was able to heal myself of the dark night of the soul and get stronger because that which does not kill you makes you stronger. Mm -hmm. As for the effort to maintain what I do now at this level, I do about 20 hours of ritual and ceremony 
every month that's beside my daily practice, okay? That keeps me clear, it keeps my broadcast station clear, um, allows me to evolve and have unique spiritual experiences that I don't have to share with the audience. Because the biggest thing I learned is if I haven't experienced, the audience may not be ready for that. I, whatever I've, what I've talked about, I've experienced again, again, and again, thought about it, revised about it, wrote about it, experienced it again, and then said, now I'm at a stage that I can teach this perception out of my knowingness and not reflex regurgitation. And a lot of people stuck in instant gratification who want to be a teacher are just reflex regurgitators. They don't process the experience that they're doing. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about, um, you know, journaling, speaking about it, um, living the living the, the wisdoms that you learn through the process, like applying them to your life. There's so much to be said about that. And, um, you know, there's there's so much happening right now. I just feel like the energies are so intense. Um, part of it is because there's so much manipulation happening mm -hmm. um, right now to society. Uh, through different technologies and things like that. Um, I'm curious, you know, you've talked, uh, what I love about, you know, what I've learned from watching your channel is how important it is to not get pu pulled into the polarization of left and right, black and white, all, all that kind of stuff, man, women, it doesn't matter. Just not to get stuck into the polarization because it's literally a trap. Um, one of the things that I've noticed, and I'd love for you to um, elaborate on it, is that since I've pulled myself out of the um, polarization and, and just kind of been focusing on my own journey, my own experiences, what I want to learn and what I want to gain out of this lifetime while I'm here, regardless if it's COVID or not, <laughs> is, um, is that my intuitive abilities have skyrocketed. And my awareness levels have increased dramatically and I'm having multiple experiences that I hadn't had before. Could One of the awarenesses that came through was that this is available to all of us to capitalize on the polarization, on the technology that's being used to separate us and to keep us fighting and arguing with one another and um, in constant, like you said, like the dopamine um, effect that happens from the news cycles um, constantly that if we were to go into neutrality, there's an actual energy available to us that actually boosts our own awareness and ability to connect with our intuitive abilities, activating them and strengthening them faster. Could you elaborate on that or see, yeah. So when one chooses to disconnect from the social engineering system and the technological social engineering systems, that is social media news, there's a natural way of living, a natural long waveform of light that allows us to have deep absorption into all the different frequencies and harmonies that are there. And when we allow this deep absorption, we call this natural living. Natural living has its own magnetic pulls to subject matters that allow our awareness to unlock more awarenesses, to unlock more experiences bound up with an experience. What you're describing is an experience within an experience within an experience. It's all a form of intuition, awareness, and sometimes empathy. Now, the system of social engineering is designed to use empathy against you. Now, in my cosmology, empathy is the lowest of all psychic skills out there. 
And oftentimes empathy has been weaponized in social engineering systems, which allows people to get trapped in these empathetic states. And when you're in an overly empathetic state for too long, you're not actually in your body. Empathy doesn't have a timestamp, intuition does. And when we elevate our state self into these intuition states and learn how to turn empathy off, the social engineering systems are just data that we don't have to connect to. And this natural long waveform of light is constantly bringing us positive influences of, and flows of data and information that at a choice point we can tune into or not because they're not competing with our daily life as the news system of social media are constantly competing for your attention. And consciousness itself is gonna go through great forms of awakening because the social engineering systems are so strong. And as soon as they disconnect with it, their natural waveforms of lights are gonna come up if they know how to battle the traumas that are built inside their bodies. Trauma-based mind control really does work and they've been using it for thousands and thousands of years within us. You know, the way that movies are done today, the desensitizing of, of people to blood, guts and gore. You know, I remember in the 1990s, action movies were punch, punch, kick. You never saw a bone splitting out of the side of the leg. Now, even regular TV, regular sitcom TV has a, you have to watch the bone come out of the skin. Mm -hmm. Why? Because yeah. they want to shock you. Mm -hmm. and, and then that creates all forms of other side effects from that shocking experience. Spirit doesn't shock you. It illuminates you yeah. into well, the new experience. Well, this is the whole thing is that, um, you know, I realized that when I did start to take time away and then I would maybe go on a little bit of social media because I'd still stay a little bit active, but nowhere near to the extent that I, I was, that the videos of just the riots and people getting beaten or even worse, murdered and, and the forest fires and everything, it was just like, oh my God, I just, I feel like I'm being attacked right now and traumatized even further. And we've already got so much trauma that we're trying to work through that how do we even get to the deep stuff if we're constantly fighting off this new stuff all the time? Choice. Yeah. That's the, the uniqueness of where we're at in this. This awakening is all about choice. The biggest fallacy the lightworker community reuses over and over again is that it's a collective awakening. Bullshit. Yeah. It was never meant to be a collective awakening. They tell you it's a collective awakening because they don't want to do the individuated work. This awakening is about the individual disconnecting through the individual self-healing, self-nurturing, and self-exploration work in which they create an illuminated factor within themselves that allows them to disconnect from the system and define time inside themselves, which then gives them access to different dimensions, different densities, and different forms of experience. While they can still live in this charge and polarized world, they don't have to interact with it the same way. Yeah. And after a while, thousands of people who figure it out will be attracted to others and the very founding telepathic communications will begin to happen. And that will be the first collective consciousness grid. We're a long ways away from that. <sighs> Don't tell everyone that. <laughs> I have been the one that is saying nothing's going to happen tomorrow since 2012 I know. came out. There is going to be no aliens are going to come down and rescue us. Yes. There's going to be no revaluation of currency. There's going to be no grand master rests. Nothing will happen tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after. Until you see people out in the same scale and size of the 1960s and 70s marching, that's millions of people in every city for years in a row. 
not the 100,000 in one city, the 10,000 in another city, and the 40,000 in Germany. That's nothing. We are at 0.01% comparative people marching today than we're marching in the 60s and 70s every day for years in a row. When you see that, something is happening. Until then, trauma-based trauma mind control engineering is still working and there's, we're still under control. Okay, good to know. Well, it's, it's, um, and, and I totally agree with you because when you really start to look back at everything and, and yeah, you can even just take that, if you look at climate change and, and client and global warming and how long they've been telling us that, you know, and it just keeps bumping back further and further. So it's the same thing that we're always getting told the same narrative of fear, um, mm -hmm. and then hope at the same time, you know, it's like the addictive cycle. It's almost like, um, you know, I, I liken the, the news cycle almost to like being in a relationship with a narcissist. <laughs> psychopath yeah <laughs> because it's who raped who who killed who followed up by here's your positive news yeah it's just it's crazy um okay let's let's shift gears because i really want to get into this you've brought this up on your show well at least a, several times I'm, i know but there's a few that i listened to that i found so fascinating and it's this idea of the soul contracts um and how we create our soul contracts before we come in the soul contract holding while we're in the womb of the of our mother but then before we're actually birthed that there are we can be flagged if we're we're coming in with more light and the dark controllers of this planet don't want us to waken as easily or be as effective can you go through some of that because i'm really how does all of that work exactly so it's a big subject matter let me start with this start with this when you are a fetus in the mother's room, you have access to the universal synchronicity blueprints. So that means you get to plan synchronicities long before you're born. And that fetus in the womb state is where we make spiritual contracts. Who's going to be my third grade teacher? Who's going to be the first person that breaks my heart? Who's going to be the business partner I make success with? So on and so forth. Even down to who's going to make my breakfast on a vacation when I'm 13 years old, because that breakfast will do something to be an influence me to be a foodie instead of a, a crappy food eater. Okay. Everything is about energy and exchange and reduction of karma. So that fetus in the blue in the womb with the access to the universal synchronicities builds a series of lives for you. Now, once we're born, we go through the great forgetting and we have these spiritual contracts in our field that are there for us to free will explore in unawareness of spiritual contracts. Now, when once we become aware of spiritual contracts, we realize that some are created or forced upon us by the system of domination control, forced contraction. You must vote. You must vote for positive or the lesser of two evils. We don't need to accept those spiritual contracts. And we can break contracts, vows, and agrees with them. Let's say we have a boyfriend or a girlfriend who's an extreme narcissist. We can break contracts, vows, and agrees with them, agreements with them. That's the spiritual journey of cutting the cords and no longer allowing energy-based exchange. Now, in the background, we, have, we all have tens of millions of spiritual contracts with the seen and the unseen world. Example, some people have spiritual contracts with the fairy energy, not that they're ever going to interact with one, just their light alone allows fairies to be around them because that particular light is very soothing and soothing to them. Or some other situation where you might be, you know, have an affinity to snakes and you can, you know, collect snakes and be a herbologist. 
or herptologists, whatever the snake people are, or whatever it is, you know, you, you've got that special, unique energy within you that is a spiritual contract because of previous lives in which one led that became a master at that form of experience. Now, as we grow older, certain spiritual contracts from our parents, like, de definitely influence us in what's called ancestral karma. So if you grow up in a very abusive family, you have abuse at a young age, which means your innocence has been shattered at a young age, and those traumas go forward with you in your life as a big part of you. That ancestral karma was planned in the womb before, as well as many wombs before that, in which the soul's greater challenge is, what will it take for me to get source connected again with all of these trauma-based controls early in the life? The soul knows that it is always source connected. It's the I am that doesn't. And the I am that's been traumatized has to go through the breaking and the reconnection of faith. And oftentimes very negative spiritual contracts disconnect us from faith because part of the greater education of souls coming here is to learn source disconnection. That's why many souls come here to learn because once we learn the many infinite ways of source disconnection, we've relearned the infinite ways of source connection and that we are our own source at all given times. And we're never not a part of the universe, no matter what the trauma-based system has, has said to us. Now, these contracts can be benign contracts, like until you meet um, Joe Blow 22 years from now, you may fall in love. But if you haven't healed your spirit, you haven't healed your traumas before that, Joe Blow won't, won't pay attention to you because you won't be the right frequency for them. So there's lots of conditions into these contracts. And these contracts have alternate forms of perception, too. Let's say you go down this avenue but the love of your life is on this avenue. That doesn't mean you can't meet that life. You have to figure out how to merge the two. And that's where spirituality and the awareness of contracts allows you to chart your own course through the use of free will. You've spoken also about um, the contracts. You know, you talked about how we have all these different ancestral contracts and things like that. What happens when you've said that there's sometimes these dark controls, if they see you, they'll make amendments to your contract in order for you to be allowed access to the planet? Fine print. Fine print. Yes. So when the Archon Grid was in full control, its purpose was to not, not allow rebellious souls who had a form of light to get into the planet. Because if they did, they would spell this spread this rebellious light to other people. Our planet, our surface planet is a farm. They are farming us for energy, farming us for high frequency souls, and trying to using trauma-based mind control to degrade us to be part of their secular community of trauma-based personalities who are a false form of illumination. So when a bright light comes in here, oftentimes it has to hide itself, switch bodies, go through traumas, experiences, so that the system doesn't see it for what it is. Now, when something is figured out, and let's say they figure it out after it's already born, and they begin to target it on a very passive basis, this will be going, all right, when you're nine, you're going to meet a bully. When you're 15, you're going to meet a girl we've prepared for you. When you're 19, you're going to meet a guy that's going to make you question your sexuality. Okay? Oh, really? They're going to throw thing after thing after thing, so you give up. Oh, 
Right. Okay. <laughs> and those are forced spiritual contracts, knowing full well that this light, its purpose is to be rebellious, but if we smash it at an early age, it's not going to be very good. So knowing that this is all part of the plan, like we, I, would, I would think that we as souls would know that this is a possibility that our contracts can get kind of hijacked with fine print. Um, do we, are there loopholes in there that we know about that we also create backdoors or I should say backup plans when, in the case yes. that, that happens? Yes. So the thing with the fetus in the womb, it may give you a, a, an architectural blueprint that has all the materials you need, screws, nails, this, this. And then there are times that because of free will or forced contracts from the system, we, instead of building the house out of wood, we had to build it out of clay. Or instead of building the relationships that we had previously, we had to replace them with the plan Bs or the plan Cs. So we may not have all the experiences we, we need when we get to finally building the house of our awareness. And so knowing full well that when you're building something, if you don't have the materials available, you do with what you have in the moment. And spirituality with spiritual contracts, you're almost never going to get what the fetus in the womb exactly planned because of free will. So there are always plan Bs, plan Cs, plan Triple H. Here, if you get found out, if you're suicidal, all these other plans exist and they come up and bubble up into our awareness out of the choices that are there in our intuition. Oh God. Okay. That's so interesting. I, I, um, that's, it's also fascinating to me and, and I, and you keep going back to this ultimate thing of choice and how, um, it, the, ultimately that free will is our loophole. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And absolutely again. Yeah. Okay. We live in a 100% free willed universe and a 100% free will galaxy on a 100% free willed solar system and a 100% free willed planet that has an astral timeline, surface timeline and subsurface timeline that are all individually 100% free will. So choice is everything always. And there aren't all universes that are free will. Is that correct? Correct. There are other galaxies that they're 50% free will. Why or is that? No, like, no, <laughs> it's the nature of what the frequencies of light need to evolve to the greater awareness of source connectedness, okay. source interconnectedness. Not all life has learned the same thing. You know, here in the cosmology that I work with, there's a chain of universes from one to 17. And one is no more advanced than the other, but they're about a series of experiences. This universe offers no free will. The next universe offers 100% free will. The universe after that is 50-50. The universe after that, free will comes in after you've learned a certain amount of universal laws and rules that allows you to travel to other universes. And it graduates you to the next level, to the next level, until there are universes that have small places that are no free will and large places that are free will. And one must learn to interact with the varying various universal laws of the area. And then there comes to galaxies and universes that don't have one one prime creator. They have dozens, dozens. Are they the same being though? That's for philosophy to define. Okay. Because if you have a prime creator who was from the very beginning of that galaxy and a prime creator who's from the end of the galaxy, are they the same being? Technically, very, no. 
Yeah, I would say no. They <laughs> no. And let's say you have one of them that just the prime creator, ah, fuck it, I'm going to go to another galaxy and vacation for a while, leave one of my selves in charge. And then they come back. That happens all the time. We live in an unlimited universe. And therefore, we cannot limit it with our perceptions and projections onto what is possible. So what? how is Earth perceived on a soul level before we come in? Anyone who's willing to come to this planet, how is it perceived in a sense of um, why people come here and what they're going to learn? And so, and so Earth is where you come to get your triple PhD in the School of Hard Knocks. Okay, that's what I thought. Yes. <laughs> And I mean hard knocks, hard knocks, because you come, you're coming to a source school. And what does source school mean? Source disconnection. Lifetime mm-hmm. after lifetime with the great forgetting, false light entities, system of domination and control, lizard, wizard, baby rapers that are everywhere, abusive species everywhere, false gods. There you go. That's how you're going to learn school of hard knocks and source disconnection. Put all the great evils there. And have an evil training school. <laughs> okay. So, okay, since it's so difficult, I, I would assume there are souls it, that are just it, like, it, it, it no way. The, it, it isn't the most difficult. But it's one of the more difficult ones, I'm assuming, of this top, particular top tw- universe. Top, top 20. There are other okay. places that are a lot, a lot, a lot harder. Because, not because of source disconnection, but from the length of time, you must be successful lifetime to lifetime to lifetime. Okay, so there's all these nuances to yes, in okay. long term long term endurance is a different form of learning. Mm-hmm. I don't like endurance. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so then what are the rewards that people are or souls um, are available to you that, that, that you know? Obviously, you're going to learn a lot and and go through all these experience. What are some, because you talk about graduation, what are some of the rewards of um, making it through this planet? Getting your triple PhD. You get a t-shirt and a hat. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But with your t-shirt and a hat that has, that has taught you that you can go to tens of thousands of other worlds who have used their DNA in a very negative way and who have lost their source connection through sexual organs and you'll be able to teach them and share some of your experiences to help them get pat back on the healing path. You will have awareness of time travel, dimensional travel. You'll be able to visit thousands of places. Will you be responsible to yourself to not do negative influence them like our ancestors of the past did? So we will be teacher spirits to tens of thousands of other worlds. And we will also be learning from other worlds our mom's chicken soup is a valuable experience on the galactic trade market, as well as what it takes to give birth to a child. Imagine a species that lives 80, 90,000 years, and they only give birth through cloning. None of them know how to have swollen feet. None of them even know how to have sex, let alone the process of being pregnant and raising a children, a child. We have never lost our natural birth here. So it'll be an extremely valuable experience to teach other places and spaces how to have natural birth again or how to maintain a food chain that isn't super destructive. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You just hit something there Um, because this has kind of come up for me in my own experience of – 
I've been doing a lot of uh, healing of my own womb because I want to have kids in this lifetime. And that's something that back to a Mayan lifetime, there was a, a truncated birth and it just seems to, it's something I've been working lifetimes to heal. Um, and one of the messages that kind of came through was that learning the birthing process here was was a very valuable lesson for um, other uh, places. And I didn't realize that that until you said all about the cloning and everything. Yeah. And there are other species, again, who don't have sex organs. They wanted to be able to get DNA based awareness time travel and they used the wrong DNA rungs from a different group of human beings from the wrong skin suit section and they did it in mass to their population now thousands or millions of years later they could no longer propagate a species well let's talk about dna then because you talk about our dna our skin suit being the, actually the most um, valuable device or tool that we have can you go right. into that more so we all operate the porsche skin suits dna skin suits of experience where the vast majority of other spirits have the volkswagen bug with maybe a turbocharger on it okay of a modification but it's still a volkswagen bug versus a porsche it doesn't have heated seats <laughs> doesn't have tinted windows on demand all the other little cool features that the high-end skin suits have what what makes our skin suits so unique is we can experience up to 50 colors of time simultaneously which means at any given moment, we can have a, a very rich and thorough experience compared to other skin suits who maybe only experience four colors of time. Like there's a lot of insectoid species that only perceive four colors. You imagine really? only perceiving four colors? No. Okay. No. Now we're on a part of the great awakening is we're going from a seven color time experience to an eighth color time experience. And that's the great graduation. Who can what see does that the mean? You literally, another color is going to come into existence. Oh. And there'll be those that can see it and those that can't. So it's not just a t-shirt. It's a color. It's a color <laughs> in the t-shirt. <laughs> exactly. The t-shirt and the hat are colored. A new color. Wow. Okay. And... What is the power behind that? Because obviously there's a lot of um, cloning that happens, DNA um, harvesting uh, from our skin suits. What is it? What it, What are the top kind of coveted um, genes or uh, reasons why this is happening? So a DNA skin suit has a lineage behind it. So first thing to understand, DNA is 80% memories. So imagine if you're born and you know 1% of all your past lives. Would you ever make the same mistake with your first, second, or third girlfriend or first, second, third wife? No. Would you ever make the mistake of choosing the wrong education again? No. Okay, that's just at 1%. Imagine if you had 10% of all your past life memories dating millions of years back. How easy would be choices in life for you? Yeah. Right. You know that I don't want to repeat that mistake. Here, we don't know anything about our past life. Total blank slate. Therefore, everything's a brand new experience. And lineages store affinities. 
example, there are lineages that were silversmith, generation after generation after generation. Therefore, people have affinities to silver or smithing silver. There are other people that are warriors, other people that are healers, thinkers, doctors, mathematicians. And then there are certain lineages who are birthers. They're there to give birth to potent and powerful souls. The negatives want to capture the birther lineages first, and then the variety of other skill set based people want them in their click of control. It is the birthers who allow long term control over a planetary system because those children will be put towards the negative or force or souls will be forced into the wombs of, of women who are part of those birthing legions. The 13 original clan mothers goes back millions and millions and millions of years. Those were the 13 human bodies that were created that were then exper exper experimented and to the point where there were 980,000 different types of human skin suits. Some specifically designed for zero gravity, some designed to be super psychic, some designed to be time travelers, others to be this all-encompassing experienced skin suit that could follow the founder people around and be their butler or maid and still, and still travel through dimensities and time streams with us. That's why we're a 50-color experiencing skin suit, because we were created as a programmable form of DNA that could self-propagate self-align, self-politicalize itself without being competing towards its creators. So the lineage of birthers are the most controlled. Okay. The warriors, the thinkers, the mathematicians, and the psychics are the secondary people that they want to take under control. Why? Because those are the greatest ways to keep control of a world and mm -hmm. contain the global narrative. Wow. That's so fascinating. There's so much information in there. Um, and I can tell everyone in the chat's like loving, loving the conversation. They're really loving it. Yeah. And um, you can see that you can see the whole birtherism controlling that of through the kings of the king system throughout the whole world. The Merovingian lineage, and so on and so forth. There's so many. I'm holding the Christ lineage. No, you were part of a birther family that was identified by the offworlders as a very unique skin suit that could have a very powerful womb process, meaning the soul that's going to come in is going to be very potent and can plan very powerful skills because the mother has learned to be a part of the fetus and the womb planning process. Many, many mothers out there have known the child before it came in mm -hmm. talked to the child the entire time. You're probably a birther. They've been in many past lives. You've done that. And you help the child plan their life through access of your innate experiences and intuition. When that child is just one week old in you, its awareness is inside you and it has access to your vagus nerve and the very nature of your ongoing moment to moment experience. Really? So at one week old, it's, it's able to get, get gather all of that information? From the moment the, the sperm and the egg meet and the first spark of consciousness, it can. Okay. That's what I, yeah. Okay. That's, I, I remember you saying that and I find that so interesting. It's, um, there, there's something that, you know, when I, when I was kind of doing the healing work for myself, I was guided to just kind of bring light into my own womb, but then actually to go into my mother's womb when I was actually conceived. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to observe through meditation, the, um, the power I brought in like golden light. And as soon as the sperm hit the egg, it's like, I saw the egg crack with the, all this beautiful, like Christ consciousness energy and watched it kind of 
you know, tumble, float down the fallopian tube and, and embed into the uterus and allow all of that golden energy just to permeate through. And it was extremely powerful. Um, that This actually is a good segue into another topic I wanted to talk to you about. Speaking to that point, how much power is behind the alchemy of us using light in that kind of healing way? One of my overarching all-in-all teachings is for people to become familiar with themselves as the fetus in their mother's womb. There you have access to that fetus that's planning your life, and you can make new plans with them. If you learn how to enter the silent state in the womb, where you hear the dual heartbeats, that's the first rhythm that you've heard. And it's not really about connecting to the mother. The mother's a the mother's just a byproduct process there. You are connecting to yourself who's still in that infinite planning stage. Now, there are a lot of people that have traumas with their mothers, which stops them from entering that state. So what I tell them is you enter the fetus into your own womb. And if you're a man, you don't have a womb, you do have a womb. Okay, your sexual organs can remain your womb and you can find yourself creating a light in your lower abdomen. That's the same thing. And you can reconnect yourself to that womb planning state. But I advise them to first reconnect to the actual fetus of their actual mother's womb as a familiarized awareness and meditation state. And one begins practice at that, but they can get some intense illuminations just like you had in experiences. And then after a while, you learn how to actually talk to your fetus and go, you know, that last girlfriend you sent me as a sucker for her. Let's not do that again. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> or that last job you sent me. Oh, my God. I, I love the job, but I the money was horrible. OK, let's plan something better. And then, so the, you fetus go, then the fetus goes, well, what do you actually have with you, Mr. Free Will? So you can actually go back in time, so to speak, and reprogram the choices, the, the plans with the fetus so that it affects your current timeline now. Yes, as well as heal traumas. Yeah, okay, wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. It, it, it's just, it blows my mind. And this is the whole reason why I, I've been advocating for people um, on my channel, just to please like go in and start doing your work because... We're so much more powerful and there's so much more available to us than any of us have any concept of right now to completely change things. And um, it's like it co goes back to that free will and that choice of knowing that we can choose differently at any given moment in time. So one of the things that I offer is something called the advanced heart meditation which teaches how you how to go back into the fetus of the womb. And I have scores of other teachings. If you go to my website, andrewbartis.com and sign up for the email list, you'll get that and several other teachings for free. Why, why do I give out all this free stuff? Because if you practice it and it works, when I want to sell something, you may buy it. I don't have to force anyone to buy anything. If the material works, it sells itself. Mm -hmm. Okay. Absolutely. And that's what I've learned about spirituality over and over again. If it works, it sells itself. And when you begin to connect to the fetus in the womb or you connect to the blood that's in your body and you get down to the, some basics of anatomy and physiology, which you begin to re-familiarize yourself with in the meditative state, you can embed light into your cellular structures or mitochondrial power plants and do such unique awareness-based changes in yourself. 
Okay. And that's why re-entering the fetus in the womb is re-familiarizing yourself with the infinite potentials that you have. That fetus is you. Yes. You're just the one that followed through with all the free will choices in its giant book of things that you might do. So this is like taking inner child work to like a whole new level. <laughs> yeah. Pre, yeah. Pre, prenatal child work. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm a huge fan of that work. So I'm definitely um, looking forward to using this. I'm, I'm totally going to use it tonight. Um, <clears throat> can I ask you a question? Uh, this has been something that's kind of been burning in my mind lately, especially I was down in Mexico last month and I've been getting kind of this pull towards um, like the water. And I know that there's like, uh, the water is very healing for me and it's why I moved down to the Cayman Islands for a while. Are there underwater civilizations yes, currently? Hundreds, yeah. Hundreds Hun of them. Some call them the merfolk. Um, some call them fish people. Some call them Atlanteans. And then there are what people that have spaceships and have underwater colonies and civilizations down there. Now indigenous to earth are tens of thousands of different underwater intelligent species everything from whales and dolphins to trout and salmon and everything in between and there are many microorganisms that are very highly conscious beings like little tiny seahorses mm -hmm. are extremely conscious beings okay yeah and they can be considered living computers to other species and societies so what about the underwater communities do you want to know about well um, what, what are, uh, what are their, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say purpose, but what are, what kind of work are they doing? Um, in, is there any kind of cohesion between the work that we're doing? Are they separate? Um, are they living separately? I would think not, but, um, what's the relation there? So the ocean binds them to us from what we put into the ocean and what we do to the ocean. That can make some of them very aggressive to us and others who have technology to bypass the pollutions that we put into the oceans. There are some who are like the indigenous cultures of Brazil who are still haven't seen a, a modern human. There are merfolk people who are like that and they're not feral consciousness, they're super psychic consciousness who have learned to go back to the natural ways of living. And many of the merfolk communities have figured out a synthesis of balancing natural underwater living with the unnatural surface. So they've got that unique spiritual perspective and spiritual technologies that have bio-based technologies that they can manipulate with their psychic, their psychic energies to build homes, to build vehicles. Um, have you ever seen the new movie Aquaman with uh, Jason Momoa? No. So there's a scene there where they're showing Atlantis underwater mm -hmm. and they build these ships out of half fish, half technology. And there's a lot of uh, self-disclosure in that movie um, of how the merfolk live. Now, most of them don't exactly look human. They're humanoid-ish. And then there are ones that are full human who can go from deep under underwater to deep on the, to deep on the outer atmosphere. But their specific skin suit is like that. Their culture has chosen to live underwater because if they were live on the surface, they would be overly targeted by the systems of domination and control. Okay, so that's another reason to be underwater is to avoid that domination and control system. Right, right. So it's because it's the global narrative of belief, the surface belief.
Okay. Yeah. Interesting. The surface believes in a whole different set of facts than the subsurface. And here okay. you thought, you think it's just a normal planet here. Like, <laughs> nope, nope. Wow. Okay. So the, the beings that are um, able to be, the, their skin suit allows them very kind of underwater and, and surface. Um, what kind of interaction do they use on the surface if minimal? Like what sort of interaction is there? It's still about karmic resolution. So when when you're a Murphy Murfolky type people, there's ocean based karmas, and then there are the people who left the Murfolk community to live on the surface. Many of them have very unresolved karmas, so they're constantly trying to figure out ways that they can resolve karma with people who have left their species and are now surface dwellers. Oh, right. So it's sometimes it's. You know, can I influence this person to go out on a boat one day? And not that I'm going to want them to see me, but there's just enough energy exchange to end that karmic contract. Oh, really? Yes. How interesting. Or, or the, 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 the sailor going, I saw a merwoman. <laughs> and for the rest of their life, they profess this over and over and over again. And the surface world goes, no, you didn't. We don't believe you. Here's some medicine. Go away. <laughs> wow okay and um the resolution of karma comes in many 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 ways and the merfolk have just figured out ways of energetic exchange that don't drastically affect the surface narrative and that's because they've mastered natural living and they're going to have great, the Merfolky people are going to have incredible lessons for us of how to get back to natural rhythmic rhythm, living here on Earth without the supernatural, unnatural global media system driving us into unnatural living. Okay. Because there is, a, there, is a, there is an ocean social media network that all the great life forms in the food chain of life can talk to other food chain, other things in the great food chain of life. Yeah. So there's a psychic version of social media that doesn't have the negative dopamine releases behind it. There's a great grid of things that are constantly looking and trying to get new experiences. Without the dopamine experience. Right. But the actual spiritual interaction, because the planet is, is the medium in which it is allowing us to communicate and exchange through the waters and the ocean, which are what? Programmable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very much so. Very much okay. so. Okay. So specific areas in the ocean are programmed for lots of life to be born there. And then they spread life to all over. And then there are other places where the the program in the in the rocks and the water is to have unique super psychic experiences. And that's why many off-world species have come to this world and put their whole species underwater. Really? To mm -hmm. to experience that with these rocks. And the wall, programmable water, and they and could the have millions of people in their underwater and their underwater cities. Is that why some of us are so called to the water? Um, yes, yes, because you've had lifetimes, many lifetimes as a merfolky or an offworlder or something to do with this subwater surface. 
Yeah, because when I was down in Mexico, I just felt so it was like a whole different experience, even than when I was in Cayman, um, that I just I, I, I almost felt like there was a civilization calling like to work with whatever I was trying to heal on the surface. Mm-hmm. As well as there are deep underground oceans. So the Sierra Madre Mountains and the Rocky Mountains and the Andes Mountains are considered the spine of Earth Mother. And the spine of Earth Mother has a cranial fluid passage that is this giant underground river ocean that's hundreds of miles wide and thousands and thousands of miles long. And it has many tubes that lead off into different realms. And then the Caucasus and then the Caucasus Mountains in Moscow outside of Russia that lead down into the Urals. That's considered the um not breastplate um what what is the not sternum of the of the earth okay which protects the houses the heart and the chest etc even though there are multiple chakra points for every celestial being there's no one heart chakra there's dozens of heart chakras dozens of womb chakras dozens of this no planet has one single chakra point so there's a there's a spinal fluid of so, okay, first of all, there's underground oceans that none of us or like, well, what were surface are not even available to know about. And can you go into a little bit more detail about like the offshoots of that spinal fluid that comes off the Andes, um, the Andes mountains? So like- those are, those, those are deep underground underwater channels uh-huh. that have a unique form of programmed water in that allow you to have a much deeper connection to the planet earth as a celestial being. And then they build cities in these great underwater caverns or subsurface caverns that have air in them, or they pump their own air or create their own air or create their own, use their own technologies, etc. And they have vast underground and underwater societies that use this special water as the membrane into super connection with the planet. Wow. Sorry, I'm a little mind blown right now. <laughs> it's just, it's like so much, it's so much information to take in. This is so interesting. Um, okay. Here's another little, little freaky thing. We use gasoline here, but gasoline comes from petroleum that naturally exists in the subsurface. Petroleum is another form of Earth's cranial sacral fluid. And yes, we burn her fluid in our cars. Really? Purposefully as part of a distortion of the natural energy to meter life force, even though life force is unlimited. So what could we do with that petroleum then if we weren't to burn it, could it off? Be some of the, if, it, if it wasn't processed in the way it is, it can become some of the most great, greatest healing salves out there. Okay. Yeah? When it's processed correctly. Yeah. Um, I've got a question in the chat. I've got, I've got a, quite a few questions in the chat um, that are kind of related to this. Someone said, um, Dragonflyheart44 said, Andrew, can dreams with merfolk resolve karma too? Absolutely. Most dreams with merfolk are luring you to resolve some form of karma in a dream state. Okay. Um, speaking of the dream state, there seems to be a lot of... Um, more and more, like I'm seeing like a lot of people um, commenting on my videos or clients reaching out to me as well as my own experiences of the dreams becoming more and more lucid. And also, uh, I 
not necessarily precognitive, although that there is that, but, um, the communication with the future self, can we go there? Can we talk about that? Because, um, I've been receiving a lot of future communication from my future self through the dream state. Um, not only, but that it's been a highly, and that's something I've been talking about more on my channel with people in how to help them, um, start creating, like using the, using the future self to shift timelines now. So future selves are a bit of a tricky process to connect to. What validation do you have that you're the future self? Usually that comes in the dreaming state. What I tell people, if you want to get familiar with your future self, you also have to learn about your past self. So what I tell them is to go get a picture from their younger age and look for the version of you that has the fake smile. Everyone has a kid picture with a fake smile and you know what the fake smile is. Mm -hmm. And use that picture as the medium to connect to that child in a meditative state and say to them, I am your future self coming back here to love you. So that fake smile gets turned into a real smile and begin the process of loving them, sending them energy, telling them what their future is, okay? Then after practicing this for a while, you're gonna wanna send the same type of energy to somebody a week ahead of you. Now in Reiki, I learned this traditional Asui Reiki. In Reiki two, they teach you how to send a treatment forward or backwards through time. So if your Reiki master never taught you this, you didn't learn Asui-based Reiki, which is a vital part of the component of becoming a Reiki master, which is understanding your past, your present, and your future self, and that you can send treatments forward and backwards in time to yourself to help clear out traumas. So part of the journey in Reiki is I learned how to deal with my past selves and then cyclically send treatments forward in time to my future self, which my responsibility of awareness was to accept them. Now, what I would do was send an energetic treatment to my spinal column, send joy so that I could begin feeling my past self connecting to my future self. Mm -hmm. And then after I got good at that, I told my future self, send a treatment from forward in time backwards to me and my responsibility will to censor energy through my discernment and accept it into my frequency. And that is where past, present, and future and Andrew simultaneously agreed to work together. Okay, okay. so it's about- at the, beginning, at, at, at the beginning of my year, I try to send 200 or 300 treatments forward in time to myself. And then right about the halfway point, I send another treatment six months, eight months, 10 months, or 12 months ahead of time of myself. So in any given year, I send about 400 communications to my future self, which are traditional Reiki healings, spinal column healings, endurance-based healings, because I, in the moment, am using my infinite potential to tell my future selves, I'm passing on to you the legacy of infinite potential. I, so, so you're creating a really beautiful bridge between, between the two of, through that healing energy, um, what is like the, uh, I want to say, what is the potency of that in helping to connect the, the two? You, you become interconnectedness and interconnected with simultaneous living. And inspirations from the future can easily be a part of your present. And inspirations of the past can affect your present and your future in not a very negative way. Oftentimes, people stuck in the past and the past inspiration with them never allows them to enter a present state within it. Mm 
because they're always stuck in the past and not living in the present, or they're stuck in the future, not living in the present. And when these inspirations from past, present, and future can be a part of your evolving who you are without competing with who you are, you have access to all those inspirations, joys, and happiness without limitation. That's powerful. It's really interesting to um, to think about how how to work that way because if you like we go right go back to choice and go back to that fetus planning and there's so much things you can do here <laughs> like it really is infinite limitless options of playing with your reality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I tell this anyone can do what I can do and better. The only thing I've done is practiced. That's it. Okay, and, and that's. Courage and commitment are not mystical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things um, I, I love that you talk about that because I think a lot of people, when it comes to awakening more of their own intuitive abilities um, and strengthening that, that they think it is a mystical experience and the reality is it's not. Stop. Far too many people get lost in the, in the need for a mystical experience. And then when they have the mystical experience, they deny that it was there. Because mm -hmm. it wasn't what they expected. Mm -hmm. Where the hell is my vision? Where's the this? You just had a unique meditation that showed you the spark of the infinite. Accept it for what it is. Yeah. It's um it's it's like one of those things. If you want to be good at anything, you have to put in the work and the practice and the time. Right. It's not like a lotto ticket, buy it and fail. Yeah. <laughs> and we live in such an instant gratification society where everyone just wants it now, now, or it's just, it's never happening. Um, it's right. so programmed you're, into us. Right. You're not going to get that, that super psychic skill, just like buying an iPhone 10. <laughs> no. Okay? I have many people that come to me in private sessions and go, teach me telepathy now. I can't teach you telepathy now. You're not ready for it. Why am I not ready for it? I'm paying you this. Just because there's an energy doesn't mean that you have the capacity to, to do anything spiritually until you develop a daily practice. It's so funny. It's like shopping for your intuitive skills. <laughs> right. You know, they, they, they call up and go, I want to learn this, this, and this. Uh, do you realize what that means? No. But teach me now. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And then wow. they go, why doesn't it work that way? Are those your rules? I'm like, I didn't make those rules up. That's what I learned. Okay. That's what I learned. Well, here's the thing. Um, it's, you know, this is another thing that I wanted to talk to you about was that I find that when it comes to turning on your own intuitive abilities, activating them, remembering them, all of that stuff, um, that it's through the healing of your traumas that you gain the most access is, is what I've personally experienced. And I know you've talked about like the, the awakening cannot happen through easy experiences. It comes through trauma because we're a trauma-based society. Mm -hmm. So how, imp okay, first, when we talk about this idea of like, you know, the, the saying about the mountain, how a lot of people are too busy trying to get to the top of the mountain. They, they forget about all the gems of the mining that are available to you when you go deep into the mountain. Through your own journey, when it comes to um, strengthening your own um, skills that you have today, what was one of the more what was one of the more darkest journeys that you had to go through in order to get to that um, place? Hmm. Somebody I loved greatly 
died of cancer, eight weeks diagnosis to death. Um, love of my life, two and a half years for like 10 years together and not being able to do anything that that was her karmic time to go. And when she passed, I was at a peak of my super spiritual frequencies. And I had to learn that I had to let her go, that she couldn't be a totem, that she had to be dead. I had to pass her over because otherwise I'd be living a fake life. <clears throat> Learning that grief energy. Now, was that the most challenging time of my life? I say now, yes. But there were other times early in the experience where there were some very potent forces trying to lead me into another way through basic temptation and to turn off temptation and enter that state and stay there for that extended period of time until I found love again that opened me up in a different way and then watching that love pass so fast and no matter what healing skills I had and the capacity to connect to her after her death and then having to shut all that down and re-enter that high frequency state and move on that that it's it's all one big giant mm -hmm. massive journey of staying out of the temptation to use the skills knowing full well that it would damage me if i stayed connected to her and that's a difficult choice to make in mm -hmm. when you're so connected initially right and then it topped that from when she passed Four of my closest friends, including her, died in five months. Oh, my gosh. So there's tons of loss. Tons of loss. That was in 2016. And the challenge of 2016, 2017, 2018 was maintaining my source connection with all that grief still there and figuring out how to process that grief day by day, each individual by each individual. And then once again, find love again, be open enough to find another love, knowing yeah. full well that that's what Source had asked me to do. Okay, to be willing to fall in love again. To not close it down and shut it off. That was my hardest challenge. And so for people that um, are going through, because we all have our, we all have our challenges and our traumas that, you know, we have to heal. <clears throat> what is the, um, what is, I guess, the, the advice or the insight, I should say, that you offer, that you would offer someone, anyone in the audience who is in that kind of state right now uh, on how to persevere through it. Don't give up on yourself. As soon as you give up on yourself, you're telling the universe you're not ready for new experiences and you become stagnated. Once you learn not to give up on yourself, the rest is personal choice to live each day and to create your own stairway out of despair. Sometimes, we build this beautiful garden because of all the traumas. And in one moment of rage and anger, we tear up that garden and it's okay. I tore up my many of my gardens in that healing phase between 2016 and the late 2018, because I was still in that grieving state. What we learn is we still have to create. 
We still have to create. We still have to do. We still have to choose ourselves. We have to love our learn to love ourselves. No matter how negative the state is, self-healing, self-nurturing, and self-loves are the keys to the great awakening. Yeah, and it's and it's like you said, it's a stairway, so just take it one step at a time. Sometimes we get overwhelmed with the destination. Are you there? There's, yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, you're, okay. you're just you're starting to fade out a second. Oh, I, I, I just said, yeah, and like you said, it's a stairway. And so it's one of those things where um, we have to take it one step at a time and to not get overwhelmed with the, the long journey ahead. Right. So once we get lost into our own petty de- desires to be depressed, we have told the universe beyond giving up, I am now creating a delusion. Mm-hmm. And that's where the traumas of previous experiences send us deep into ego, deep into false experiences, deep into denial, which creates dark months of the soul, mm-hmm. not dark nights or dark years of the soul, where people believe they're targeted. 99% of all the targeted people out there are self targeted by their own self created demons. That doesn't mean entities aren't real, but I basically say of all the experiences that of, of entity-based experiences, 95% of all, all entity experiences are self-created demons. The remaining 5% are real entities doing real negative things. And what do entities like to you? Your, they like to use your weaknesses against you. They learn how to become your inner voice. Ah, uh, Yeah. Yeah, I've, 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 I've heard a lot of people say that. And it sounds like from when they tell me like what they're saying that it's not them, it's, it's definitely something working through them. And, you know, I I completely agree with you of of, with the entity thing is, I think there's a lot of mm, people pushing information out there in the spiritual community on, um, you know, the power of these entities, when really, it's how much power you've, you've created and given to them. And, it just goes back to that whole um, aspect of what is within you is without you is outside of you. And so that healing journey of going within and and understanding where you're attacking yourself and where that all rooted from, I think is highly important when it comes to those entities. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and entities are a tricky, 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 tricky thing. So what makes the difference between a ghost and a demon? A ghost may only know one or two ways to harvest energy from you. A demon knows tens of thousands of ways to harvest energy from you. And it knows how to use other energies, other entities, to harvest energy for them and to send it up like a tithing system to one master thing. And those become puppeteering-based entities. The entity thing is so interesting. I'm pretty sure I saw a demon <laughs> um, hovering above my best friend one night in, in a hotel room. Um, and well, demons love hotels. Yeah. <laughs> and it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> like I, I, I'm, you know, I mean, I shouldn't say I'm, I'm easily scared. I'm very easily scared. Scooby Doo scared the shit out of me as a kid. Um, but. <laughs> Yeah, like so. With um, there's there's a couple more questions here in in the um, chat. Would you be open to just answering sure. one or two more? Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, let me just see here. Uh, 
I know Patrick had a question. He's curious how much help is available to us outside of our direct perception by angels, aliens, by answering prayers. How much are they allowed to do with our permission? So first thing first, you have to know what prayer really means to you, and you have to become an effective user of it. All too often, the three top Christian major religions have taught you an incorrect form of prayer, where you're external sourcing your prayer. You must first learn internal self-prayers in which there's no priest class determining how you pray. That is the first form of prayer. The second form of prayer is a contribution and service prayer to the allness of the universe, where you're telling God's source that you exist and that you're offering your contribution in light energy through this prayer process that you're using. Prayer does not re need an esoteric practice or religion. Prayer, word can, prayer can be no words and can be thousands of words. One's individual relationship to the two aspects of praying internally to the self that is the God source being. And then when one wants to externalize this prayer, it's not to an individuated being, it's to the allness of the universe. Now, angels, aliens, etc., can respond to your contributions to energy and send energy to you in contribution to that contribution, which then can make a connection of awareness that can allow a form of interaction that's still based in the protective, fortifying prayer system of contribution to the allness. Now, oftentimes, prayers can be hijacked. That's mm -hmm. unfortunate about a lot of the five major religions. They don't use energy hygiene in their prayer processes. So what sort of um, hygiene is necessary in order for, I mean, I, obviously I know that there's your individual hygiene practice on a regular basis that you need to have. Is there anything else specifically when it goes into prayer that is needed? It's all about how effective you are at getting into that internal state of turning off the sympathetic and the parasympathetic if you if there's a negative energy in you, if you're walking by and something said in your mind says kick the cat, you know that's an external entity, okay? And your responsibility in the moment is to remove it through your journey. And if you have regular odd thoughts that come up when you go to enter your prayer system, you start with an internal prayer to cleanse yourself, knowing full well that you've been traveling through some dirty areas or dirty subject matters. It is your responsibility to create the protected, fortified frequency, not the rest of the universe. It's yours. And that's why spirituality becomes so much of a chore for some people instead of a happiness clearing frequency. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then when it comes to the external sources, it's about the place you use to prayer. Okay. okay. Are you, is it dirty? Is it clean? Okay, what's, does the artwork have skulls and bones indicating this or this? Does it have things that influence you? Does it have items of power in it? Does it have the totality of you that's in you and the collectiveness of all of your prayers embedded into the very atoms and cells of the environment? Therefore, you have a space in which you trust enough to create sacred living. Okay. And in sacred living allows us to have higher forms of communication to other dimensions and densities that have fully living, awake, and aware beings who are trying to help us here. That makes a lot of sense. And I can see how, yeah, that having that sacred environment for the prayer is a very important. It's, right. it's a matter of respect. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
and, and all for the too process. often, all too often, people want to meditate in their bed, and I go, "Oh my God, meditating in your bed is the the worst thing one can do if you're a meditator. Mm-hmm. Your dream frequencies are constantly interfering with your meditation. If you're going to meditate, go meditate someplace that isn't your bed. Yeah. Okay. And if you want to meditate before you're going to sleep." You're not actually meditating before you go to sleep. You are using a deep relaxation process. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how does how do the dream frequencies um, affect the meditation state when you're doing that? If someone's in their bed, like how is that interfering exactly? All of those old dreams are 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 when you're entering that lucid state. Yeah. Become a part of you, and yeah. your body is tricked. In, am I sleeping or am I awake? Am I lucid or I'm not? No, you're entering a meditative controlled state where you're trying to enter the silence and the silence trying to expand your wisdom. But since most most people don't do protection of their bed, the protection of their room, all of the dreams of all of the times, positive, negative, are all layered on top like a giant 10,000 radios constantly speaking at once. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. That makes Mm -hmm. a lot of sense. Well, I thank you so much, Andrew, for coming on the show. I don't want to keep you. I know you've had a long day and I appreciate you sharing all this information. There's tons in there. I'm totally going to have to go back and, and re-listen to it. Um, please let the um, audience know where they can find you, if they want to book sessions with you, how they can do all of that. So you can go to my website, andrewbartzis.com, B-A-R-T-Z-I-S. And you can get to my website there and you can click on the insights tab. There you'll see a whole bunch of contract revocations and material for you to practice that can lead you down your path of greater awareness. You can catch me on YouTube and Facebook. Just type in Andrew Bartz's Galactic Historian and you'll see hundreds and hundreds of videos there that are there for to take you to your journey. Everything from galactic history to personal self-help to business and motivation. I cover it all for a reason, because we need every layer of human beings to expand their awareness from the lowliest taxi driver to the highest CEO. Awareness expansion all comes down to the same thing. It's beautiful. Well, thanks so much, Andrew, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. You, you're, you're doing incredible work for all of us. And thanks for being such an incredible model of some sanity and neutrality that I think we really need in this uh, the, during these times right now. And it's nice to have that groundedness to kind of fall back into uh, when everything seems so chaotic. Oh, thank you. I had I had a really a really fun time talking with you. You're very intuitive and you're very spot on with a lot of your questions. Well, thank you. And thanks to the audience for um, coming here again, showing up. I love you guys. Thanks for all of your interactions in the chat. And um, we'll be back with you guys again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening and being such a supportive audience. All video episodes can now be found on my personal YouTube channel, Nicole Frolic. If you would like to further support the show, you can visit my merchandise shop or send any donations to the PayPal link in the description below. Remember, a mind is like a parachute. Unless it's open, it's useless. So keep joining me each week as I continue to expand the mind and explore life beyond this reality.